listening to Hotel Bar Sessions Podcast, the podcast where three philosophers sit down at the end of a long conference day to chop it up at the hotel bar, which, as we all know, is where the real philosophy happens. You can find this podcast and all of our episode notes on Al Gore's internet at hotelbarpodcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Hotel Bar Podcast, where you'll find the Twitter handles of our co-hosts, Rick, Lee, and Jason, in the podcast Twitter bio. Hotel Bar Sessions is ad-free and listener-supported. To keep it that way, visit patreon.com backslash hotel bar sessions and sign up to be one of our podcast supporters. Welcome back to another episode of Hotel Bar Sessions. This week, we are talking about influencers. But before we get to that, let's get a round of drink orders and find out what everyone is ranting or raving about. So Rick, what are you having and what are you ranting or raving about this week? I'm going to be having an Outlogger Pills, which is brewed here by the local option, which in fact is my local option, a bar right here near DePaul's campus. Tony, call us. Uh, we could use your support. And I won't mention today's date that we're recording, but it is my brother Brian's birthday. And so I am raving about my brother Brian. We didn't have the greatest relationship as children, but we've somehow managed to have a really nice relationship as adults. So here's raving at you, Bri. Happy birthday, Brian. So Lee, what are you drinking and what are you ranting or raving about? I am just going to have an amaretto sour and I am raving about the kids these days. Specifically, I'm raving about my students who yesterday really impressed me. So normally on the first day of class, I do an icebreaker exercise and I know everyone hates them and they are a little bit tedious, but I need to get people talking on the first day of class and it's the best way to do it. And I have for the last several years done some version of a tell me something interesting about yourself. Nobody really likes those particular icebreakers either because you know, the things are usually not that interesting. <laughs> but yesterday I changed it up and I actually asked each of them if the whole world stopped and you had exactly one minute to have the whole world listening to you, what would you say? And their answers were just amazing. I mean, there were things that you might expect from Gen Z, a lot of stuff about climate change, a mm. lot of stuff about not being too influenced by other people, a lot of stuff about being more open-minded and accepting of difference and those kinds of things. But just the fact that on the spot they could address the world <laughs> in, in such <laughs> articulate and thoughtful ways was really impressive to me. So way to go, kids. Jason, what about you? What are you drinking and what are you ranting or raving about? I'm going to have a hot sake. I hadn't had one for a while because I broke all my sake crafts and I just forgot how much I enjoy the warm feeling of a nice hot sake. Mm. And I am going to rave about cobblers. Oh. I had a pair of boots resold recently and I just love it. It's a perfect mix of both worlds. They're still worn in. They look cool, but they feel totally new and have a bounce. And I dropped off another pair of boots to be repaired. The local cobbler down the street, the place looks like they haven't changed anything about the place, including the cash register since about 1967. <laughs> but here's the twist is that I expected that there'd be quick turnover. Like No one gets anything fixed anymore. Turns out a lot of people are getting their boots fixed. So the waiting to get these boots repaired is mm. quite wow. a bit. So 
I'm all for people getting things repaired rather than throwing things out. So I'm glad to see people taking advantage of our local cobbler. Nice. So, Lee, we're going to talk about influencers, but how are you going to influence the discussion? Where do you want this to go? (laughs) Well, I'm going to start with a quote from Rick's favorite person, Mark Zuckerberg, who once said that nothing influences people more than a recommendation from a trusted friend. Now, that might be a sliver of wisdom that we should just take with less than a grain of salt, because it turns out that the social media influencer market is a 16 billion, with a B, billion dollar a year industry. And my guess is that very few of us count influencers like Kylie Kardashian or Charlie D'Amelio or the Dude Perfect guys as trusted friends. (laughs) So although humans have, of course, been influencing each other for as long as we've been around, the category of influencer is really a relatively recent phenomenon, only emerging in the last decade. And in fact, the term influencer as we currently understand it, a thoroughly platformized figure who documents, optimizes, and monetizes their self as brand wasn't officially included in the English dictionary until 2019. Oh, wow. Today, influencers are everywhere, primarily on social media platforms like YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, but also in less glamorous professional and even academic fields where they sometimes moonlight as trendsetters, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, or just garden variety celebrities. So today we're going to talk about not only influencers, what they are, what they do, and to what ends, but also influence. What does it mean to influence or be influenced by someone? What difference does it make if an influencer is authentic? What dangers may underlie the monetization of influence or, in what might amount to the same thing, the political manipulation of influence? Are we all subtly being influenced to mimic influencers? (laughs) Not just in terms of what they eat or buy or how they work out or moisturize their skin, but their self-conscious practices of self-documenting and self-branding. And finally, can influence really be measured Or are all the follower counts that climb every time someone is influenced to smash that like and subscribe button, just a whole lot of smoke and mirrors? I know you get tired of this, but I'm going to ask a definitional question, and I want us to try to define what exactly an influencer is. Now, I did kind of offer a definition in my introduction. So I said, a thoroughly platformized figure who documents, optimizes, and monetizes their self as brand. But I also wanted to open this up to you guys and see if there's anything you want to add or edit about that definition. So let's start with you, Jason. What is an influencer? Well, I guess going back to the Zuckerberg quote that you opened with, I feel like my image of influencer is someone who utilizes a certain sense of familiarity. So something other than a celebrity spokesperson, there's someone who seems on some level, maybe fabricated, that they're approachable or they could be you. And the way that they often communicate are on apps like Instagram, Twitter that you know anyone could be on, and they try to pass off their brand allegiance 
as just things they're excited about. I see it as kind of a guerrilla warfare of advertising mm-hmm. and that they're not openly declaring, you know, a sort of full frontal battle if they're trying to get you to buy something. They're just like, hey, everyone, I tried this thing out and it worked for me or here I am at this great place. What do you think of it? And they try and take advantage of the fact that people are skeptical about advertising to pass off advertising as friendly discussion amongst peers or people who at least are aspirational peers, if that makes any sense. Mm. But yeah, what do you think, Rick? Well, it's interesting because you added something that I think is implicit in the definition Lee started with in the introduction. But for me, what's interesting about influencers is that it does include a self-branding, but it includes a self-branding so as to promote other brands. (laughs) And so I can't Mm. promote other brands unless people come to me for that promotion because of the brand I have. And so influencers are kind of a meta brand. They're Mm -hmm. a brand that then could push other brands. And then I start wondering, is it just brands all the way down? But also, (laughs) you mentioned, Jason, the celebrity spokes model or spokesperson. And I start thinking back to, I don't know, James Garner was the voice of I, I don't know, Chevrolet. He wasn't, but I can't think of what he was. And, you know, brands would have these celebrities and they were kind of capitalizing on the kind of brand that these celebrities did have. But something has really changed a lot. And I think what's really crucial here is what Lee pointed to, this constant optimization that in a sense you have to always be on, you have to always be on brand. And you have to act like you're not advertising. Mm -hmm. I do want us to be careful not to get the cart before the horse here with the influencer and the products that they're pushing, because obviously the brands aren't coming to nobodies, right? right? I mean, people have achieved a certain level of influence before they become the kind of influencers that both of you guys are talking about the influencers that are really just uh, what was the phrase that Jason used guerrilla advertisers, right? right? And so mm-hmm. there is something that was there already. They had some kind of influence before the brands approached them. I do think, though, that Jason is picking out something that marks the kinds of influencers brands approach, and that is those whose brand, the influencer's brand, is authenticity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we see, especially on Instagram and TikTok, all of this, I'm sorry, I keep quoting you, Jason, but as Jason said, people who are either like you, you know, could be in your peer group or aspirationally in your peer group, just saying like, I do this, you should do it too. And and that seems to me the kind of normal sense of influence Mm -hmm. that we know from like age old. But then the question of how one becomes an influencer is shrouded in mystery to a certain extent. Yeah. And that's why I wanted us to really ask, like, what is the difference between what we see now or the people that we call influencers now and, you know, older forms of influencers? And I mean, we could talk about really old forms like royalty, right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. political leaders, religious leaders, celebrities. What's the difference between social media influencers and pre-internet influencers? I think part of it is that claim of a certain kind of authenticity. 
I mean, because I think as Rick was saying, there was already certain celebrities had a certain kind of brand, a certain kind of identity that they played off of like you're a tough guy and you advertise tough stuff or whatever. So there was already a connection between a brand of a celebrity and the brands they were advertising for. But I think the influencer takes a different claim where the brand is in some sense themselves, Mm -hmm. in some sense who they are, an expression of who they are. The mediation the celebrity creates through their films, music, or whatever has kind of disappeared. It's become invisible, and instead it appears to be an expression of who someone actually is. Mm-hmm. But if I go back to some of the examples Lee raised, two people come to mind, and they happen to have been married, namely Jackie O and JFK. Like Jackie O influenced a tremendous amount of fashion choices that women across the Western world decided every day that I want to have my hair like Jackie O. I want to have a hat like Jackie O. I want to have an outfit like Jackie O. Even my grandmother started wearing those Coco Chanel suits with the short-waisted jackets and the skirts and mostly, I think, because of Jackie O. And there, it didn't seem like her brand was authenticity. It seems like she was authentic in some Mm -hmm. sense. And then similarly with JFK, the story goes he didn't wear a hat for one of his inaugurations, and that's the last time wearing hats was popular for men in the United States. And again, not because his brand was authenticity, but he was authentic. And so one question could be, if your brand is authenticity, isn't that the opposite of being authentic? I mean, I think so. I totally think so. But I mean, I think that that is part of what it means to be a social media influencer right now is to, in many ways, work as hard as you possibly can to not look like an advertiser, to not Mm. look like a corporate shill. And one way to do that is to brand yourself as authentic, brand yourself as the kind of person who would really use these products or who would really walk or dress or talk in these ways. And, you know, that's where it gets really tricky for me because it does seem like given the average level of savviness that heavy social media users have, that people would be turned off by influencers. Mm. Like they would have a very short shelf life and Mm. some of them really don't. Right. But isn't there a way in which one goes from being an influencer to just having a shtick that then people are like, oh, I got to see this. And it becomes Mm. kind of a performance in itself. And you're not influencing me to use your face moisturizer anymore, but rather I come to your site, I watch your TikTok video or whatever, because now it's just a performance and I'm only interested in the performance and no longer the product. Hmm. I always think of it as like the Morbius factor. Because Sony has the rights to all the Spider-Man characters, they made a film with this kind of D-list compa character with Jerry Led. Leto? Leto? <laughs> As a star. And because it seemed like such a dumb movie, people tweeted about it all the time. And in <laughs> fact, it came out and it didn't do well. But Sony, whoever released it, saw all the tweets and they released it a second time thinking that people were actually going to see it. But people were not interested in seeing the movie. <laughs> yeah. They were interested in making jokes about the movie because of both how absurd the character was because people don't like Jared Leto. People just made a lot of jokes. And I feel like there are some influencers who I really wonder – like, is anyone taking this person seriously? Mm. Is everyone just hate retweeting this person? I can't really tell. 
I mean, so I feel like to some extent to have an audience is not the same as having influence. Mm. Well, I mean, I was just going to say, if the question is, is anybody really paying attention to this person or are they just hating on them? Well, when it comes to influence, does it make a difference? I yeah. mean, you're still influencing people. I mean, I think to use an example, I'm thinking of somebody like Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm-hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow had a massive influence, both in terms of lifestyle, Figurations, but also actual products. And there, I would say, probably just as many people who think that Gwyneth Paltrow is the second coming as people who think that Gwyneth Paltrow is, you know, the Antichrist, right? right? Uh, Right. So, I mean, there is a sense in which I'm not sure that the love or the hate matters Mm -hmm. just in terms of measuring influence. And I think a sign of that is. You know, not all that long ago, if you were a spokesperson for a company or the voice of that company's brand on television and so on, and something negative happened in your life, it was found out you had an affair or you were embezzling money or whatever, that brand would drop you like a hot potato and that was it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's happening less and less frequently these days. And in one sense, the fact that there's controversy about me does not mean I'm no longer an influencer and might, in fact, help me be an influencer because now more people are interested in what I'm doing and who I am. Right. I think that's one other difference between the old-fashioned celebrity is that influencers work on a smaller scale. There are niche audiences for all these influencers. And just like there can be a niche audience which follows their every word, the haters don't distract from their overall appeal because their haters are in a different group in terms of aesthetics, in terms of politics, in terms of whatever. So that a influencer, unlike a celebrity spokesperson, which needs a kind of broad appeal, they're sort of a Fordist standardized product, right? The Coco Chanel suits are kind of for everyone to aspire to. The influencer has a niche audience that they aim for or that supports them. And that why they can have just as many detractors as they do followers because as long as the detractors are from a different audience or market, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So in a sense, if I'm not interested in changing my eyeliner or even interested in eyeliner at all, then whether I hate on an influencer who has become well-known for you know their daily chat while putting on makeup or something, the fact that I hate on them is not going to matter because I wasn't going to be influenced in the first place. But also the fact that I hate on them and I hate on them on social media, in a sense, drives more traffic to them and could ultimately expand their sphere of influence. Yeah, well, let's get down to the cold, hard cash of this because that's, you know, really what it's all about. I mentioned at the top of the episode that this is a $16 billion a year industry. And most of that, almost all of that is from social media influencers, right? Like not any other kind of influencer. So what do we think are the dangers of this rise of influencers? Well, can I ask firstly, do we know like that number is – the amount of, how would I put it, direct payments to influencers by brands or companies and so on? Or is this like just in general, the amount of commerce that goes on around influencing and influencers is $16 billion. That is something I definitely should have the answer to, and I do not know. <laughs> uh. My guess is that it has to be the latter, 
Yeah. Right. Mm. Does that include payments in kind? I got the impression that some influencers work for, you know, like they stay at this hotel for free to in turn post from it and so on. I mean, this is, we're talking, this is on the lower scale of things, not the Kim Kardashians of the world, but some influencers, it's kind of this trade relationship between, hey, I'm an influencer. Can I stay at your hotel for free? And I will post pictures and so on. Is that included in the number? Do you know? I mean, again, I don't know. Yeah. I would guess so. I mean, that's how yeah. I got all of my Coco Chanel suits. So. <laughs> 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 Including the one I'm wearing now. <laughs> Lee, why am I not cut into that Coco Chanel business? <laughs> I told you to send me your measurements, Dave. <laughs> But back to the money. (laughs) But I think this sort of does point out one of the dangers in that this goes back to Jason's guerrilla advertising, that it's advertising that's not announcing itself as advertising. I mean, I don't know if that's a danger, but that's what's going on is now people are advertising without marking, hey, I'm advertising for this brand. And so I got a free night in a Hilton hotel, but here I am posting pictures of me in the hotel bar having a cocktail. Hilton, call us. I mean, there's something, let's say, not above board in that because it's not transparent and so on. Mm -hmm. But how new actually is that? Like one could say also about the way advertising slips in again unannounced into news, news sites, news stories. And so the newness of it to me, I'm not all that convinced of it. You know, I was having lunch with my mother actually earlier today, and I was telling her that we were going to be doing a podcast on influencers. And she said, do you know that there are actually people who call themselves influencers now? (laughs) And Okay, so my mom's not on social media a lot. She's only on Instagram. But even my mom, right, knows that influencers are a thing. And, you know, she said to me, the minute somebody calls themselves an influencer, I get suspicious. Mm. This is really relevant to the point that Rick is just making about there being a kind of transparency about the advertising. And I said, yeah, I think I get that. I think probably a lot of people feel that way. And she said, you know, when I was in high school, I would see somebody and they'd be wearing a cool outfit and I would be influenced by them, not because they were an influencer, but because they had style. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, but different from when you were in high school and you saw that girl that was stylish you didn't see her 50 times in the same day. And every time you saw her, she said, 8 million other people think I'm stylish. Right? <laughs> right? So there is something about the platform that is significantly different than the way that influence worked in the pre-internet era. Yeah. And I think the difference is that when someone has style, and by the way, go back and listen to our episode on style. Mm. When someone has style, it's the aesthetic itself that is influencing me. If they're known to have style, then I might look at their shoes and say, oh, you know, I never thought I could pull those shoes off, but I'm going to try that. It's the style itself that is attractive. If then that person says to me, and I smoke Kent cigarettes, I don't know. I mean, I might be influenced then to smoke cigarettes, but the moment they say, but I'm also an influencer, (laughs) then then it's over, right? Then I don't believe anything you're saying. And because of this authenticity issue. Mm Listeners, we've got three quick asks from your hosts here at Hotel Bar Sessions. 
first, if you haven't done so already, make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast on whatever platform that you listen to podcasts. Second, hop on over to Twitter and make sure that you followed Hotel Bar Podcast there. We're at Hotel Bar Podcast, and you can find the Twitter handles of all three co-hosts in the bio there. And third, and probably most importantly, we would really appreciate it if you could recommend us to your friends and share our podcast posts on your social media. So Lee, earlier you raised a question, which I think is a good one, as to why people sort of fall for this authenticity, which seems to go against so much of our age, which is very like cynical and critical of advertisement and so on. And I think one reason that we fall for it is because we're not really that separate from it. Mm. There's a book I really like on the internet, uh, about the internet, uh, also available on the internet, as all things are, <laughs> by Richard Seymour called The Twittering Machine. And one of the things I like about that book is he structures his book as a series of chapters which all the same title, We Are All Blank. Mm. In the chapter, We Are All Celebrities, he talks about how some of the things that used to only be available to celebrities in terms of maintaining and scripting and curating our image have become things we all do. We all can delete a picture that doesn't look flattering as someone might post. We all can even like delete a tweet if we thought it was hilarious and no one's liking it. You can mm. take it down and... Oh, didn't say that. We can all do this sort of maintenance of our own image. And so I think to some extent that really lowers the bar or scrambles the issue of what counts as authenticity nowadays if everyone is to some extent engaged in this practice of maintaining their own they might not call it, hopefully they don't call it their own personal brand, but at least their own sense of how they want to come across through social media. So I feel like because we all do it on some level, or many of us do it on some level, authenticity becomes something other than what it used to be. It's no longer a kind of direct presentation without artifice because artifice has entered into everyone's self-presentation. Mm. And I think we don't fall for it because to some extent we're all a little bit complicit in it and we all do it on some level even if we're just trying to not look like an idiot or not look horrible online and then we're not really trying to influence or sell anything, we still are engaged in a certain kind of maintenance of self-presentation that isn't that far from brand maintenance. Well, I think I've gone on the record in previous episodes of this podcast being against authenticity. And <laughs> I want to double down on that and also be against the performance of authenticity. <laughs> but I do think what you just described, Jason, is evidence of the influence of influencers qua influencers. So this idea that what it means to be a self, to perform your self is a kind of constant curating, a constant branding, a constant selling of yourself. I do think that is something that is increasingly more common, more practiced in the broader cultural social realm than maybe it ever has been before. I mean, that's a flippant way to say, I don't remember being that way when I was a kid anyway. Mm -hmm. 
on the one hand, I would be really excited as someone who's a big fan of Judith Butler's performative theories of the self to say, yeah, okay, finally, everybody finally understands that there is no essential core authentic you in there, that everything that you do is a performance, that you're always cultivating yourself along with being cultivated by the other selves around you and the social and political structures that you're in. Yay, great. Everybody's doing that now. But if one of those performances is authenticity, then it seems like, you know, like you missed it. You missed the boat, man. Yeah. And to sort of double down on Lee's doubling down, so quadruple (laughs) down, I often worry that some of the criticism of influence and influencers is a little bit of, you know, hey, you kids get off my lawn kind of talk. Because if I enjoy watching any of the Kardashians put on their makeup or tell me how they got really great abs or whatever, if that's fun to me and I enjoy it, well, what the hell? Why are we complaining? Like, oh, but she's an influencer and, you know, you might be under the inf- – you might be under the <laughs> influence <laughs> of the influencer. And then we rob everyone else of their agency. But we philosophers are the ones who are like, we could see through it. And we're going to tell you how dangerous and bad influence is. But then I think, okay, 20 years ago or maybe 25 years ago, no philosopher was ever talking about St. Paul, the Christian author, until one philosopher who was an influencer writes Mm -hmm. about St. Paul and suddenly everyone's like, oh, yeah, I'm working on a thing on St. Paul. And now there are conferences on St. Paul. And so we're subject to influence as well. And there are philosophical influencers. So what is that? What does it mean to be influenced? Because I think that we have a tendency to talk about influencers now as if they're these individuals, right, who have this power to affect other individuals. But of course, because so much of this happens on social media platforms, it only happens because it's in this very tangled web of influence, The influencer is a product of social relations and social interactions and is not one person influencing another person and the second person being influenced by the first person. Mm -hmm. Just to go back to Rick's example, I think it works the same way in professions, right, Mm -hmm. or in disciplines if we're talking about academia. It's not as if one philosopher decided St. Paul is important now and we were all individually influenced by him or her. It is the case that there were a set of conditions that influenced that philosopher that gave rise to something that for those same set of conditions registered with other people, influenced other people. It's like a jambalaya, right? Like it's like (laughs) everything has to be just right. Yeah, which I think raises the question, are the best influencers those who are in some sense influenced, who are attuned to what's already going on? I mean, think about our former president and influencer in chief. I mean, I think that Donald Trump was really good at generating certain types of attention because he spent hours a day watching TV and watching Fox News. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to sort of think about what would appeal to a certain type of aggrieved and angry white middle management class because he was directly living that. He wasn't creating a persona that would be effective to a certain group of people. He was actually, I think, very much living those frustrations and anger and prejudices and so on that he didn't have to perform them. And I, I feel like some people who are classified as influencers 
They're not men or women behind the curtain creating an appearance that will appeal to people. They are people who are themselves more of a conduit mm. where all sorts of things are affecting them and they are affecting others by all the different ways they are affected. They're mm. like Spinoza's definition of the prophets. The prophets are people mm -hmm. who are so attuned to the sensibilities of the people. They speak to the people because they already have the people's imagination and people's interests at heart. Yeah, they are the products of those very same forces. I mean, I was thinking since you mentioned Trump, you know, we all remember the Trump tweet that was like, despite the bad press, Kofefe, right? <laughs> and everyone talked about that and talked about that and talked about that. And I remember having this conversation at a bar one night about somebody who was like, you know, if he wasn't the president of the United States, that just would have disappeared into the ether of Twitter. But the fact that it didn't disappear wasn't because of Trump, and it wasn't because Trump was an influencer, even less so because he was the president of the United States. The fact that that didn't disappear was because of Twitter, was because of hundreds of thousands, millions of people on Twitter mm -hmm. who made that influencer influential. I mean, you could say the same thing about the corn kid on TikTok, <laughs> right? He sort of emerged as resonant with a moment that influenced people. But this being resonant with a moment is interesting because I was thinking, Lee, you mentioned earlier three influencers. One of them was a Kardashian and the other two I had never heard of before. <laughs> but when I think about people like the Kardashians or Paris Hilton, another figure from yesteryear. I mean, you don't hear so much about Paris Hilton anymore. <laughs> I mean, these are people who were famous for being famous, right? They were famous mm -hmm. for being rich. And then being part of a kind of social media, namely a reality television that wanted to show a kind of slice of what it looks like to be rich and live a different life. And then, you know, Paris Hilton would wear a certain outfit and people would be like, oh, that's really cute. She didn't design that outfit. Those were all brands that she was wearing initially. And so she was influenced by some mm -hmm. trends, some other influencer or so on. She becomes an influencer by tapping into a particular moment, a particular flow in the movement of taste, in the movement of interest, and in the sort of emerging needs of a society. The influencer must themselves already be influenced. But now it's starting to sound like we're talking about influence, like it's like the ethers or something, hmm. involuntary, and there's no agency in it or whatever. And I don't think that that is how we, in normal language, talk about influence. When we talk about influencing someone or being influenced by someone, I mean, every day that I step into the classroom, I have an intention to influence these hmm. people in mm -hmm. particular ways. And I'd have strategies and I have practices that I think are more or less effective at influencing people. And I think maybe I have some strategies in my personal life that are more or less effective at resisting the influence of some people. Mm. So can we talk about influence in that way? I mentioned this to you guys before we recorded this, but in the 1980s, it seemed like everybody had Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People <laughs> as their kind of pocket Bible. And that was supposed to be a literal handbook to how to influence people. Right. Is that something that can be taught, do you think? Well, when you raise the Dale Carnegie question, I'm suddenly starting to think like, 
is Glenn Gary Glenn Ross the, the first sort of document of how to become an influencer? Hmm. Especially when I think about Jack Lemon's character, the name of the character doesn't come to mind, but he's sort of at the end of his his he's no longer got it is, is one way to put it. So he's no longer got it, but he does have a really nice take on how it is you could influence someone to do something that they otherwise wouldn't be inclined to do. And there is an awful lot of agency there. But the moment that you become recognized as now just a shill, to use a word that was used before, you're no longer an influencer. Right. And so the trick to influencing is to both have agency, sure, but not to come across as just another shill. Mm -hmm. So maybe this whole connection between influence and authenticity is not just a smoke and mirrors product of social media. Maybe they're more intimately related as concepts. You mean in the sense that the moment I'm a shill, I'm no longer seen as authentic? Or one would never be influenced by someone that one perceived as inauthentic. Yeah. I mean, what that makes me think of is that a lot of people who are known as influencers don't come across to me as authentic. But maybe that's just another way of saying they don't influence me, but that doesn't mean they're not influencers. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. I think in some sense, we're always willing to criticize the influencers who influence others. I mean, going back to your example, like some listeners who you know in philosophy might think the St. Paul thing, that's not influencers. There really is some interesting philosophical questions there right. about mm -hmm. universalism and so on. They were brought up, you know, that we always are willing to criticize other people's influencers right. and unwilling to see the way in which we ourselves are influenced. And it seems to me that there is a long tendency in philosophy to look at the kind of skills that are part of being an influencer, the kind of skills of being able to appeal to people to win friends and influence people, as Dale Carnegie says, as kind of being a sort of not real knowledge. I mean, this goes back to like Plato's Republic when Plato's like, there's this guy, he built a ship and he's looking for a captain and there's one person who studies the stars and would really be great at navigating, but he seems kind of clueless because he studies the stars. And there's this other person who can really talk the shipbuilder's <laughs> ear off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that person is the person who often ends up in charge, but their skills, being able to talk and influence people, is a kind of false knowledge. And I think to some extent, there's a tendency within not just philosophy, but within our society in general, to think of the kind of skills that an influencer might possess as being either duplicitous, they're lying and they're cheating, they're yeah. tricking us in some way, or a kind of not real skill or knowledge because it relies on, you know, appearances or opinions of people. And I'm sort of wondering to what extent the existence of the influencer might be a good way to think about some of our bias against influence in general and against the way in which we are always already influenced. Like we're social beings and we can't help but notice other people, what they're doing, what they're enjoying and can't help but feel like if other people are enjoying it, then maybe I'll enjoy it too. We're always, we look to social cues. That's who we are. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to just ride this hobby horse about authenticity for the rest of the episode. <laughs> but Jason, another term for the kind of person that you were just describing would be a sophist, right? right? Mm -hmm, right. And one of the things about sophists is that they're inauthentic. 
And that's part of our criticism of them, that they're only interested in the appearance of an argument. They're not interested in the truth or in knowledge. And so I'm now starting to convince myself that maybe there really is more of a connection between influence and at least the appearance of authenticity, even though, again, want to repeat, I do not think that (laughs) authenticity is a real thing. For the reasons that Jason just said, namely, we have a tendency to notice the inauthenticity of an influencer or a sophist under whose influence we don't find ourselves, right. mm-hmm. but not the sophistry or the inauthenticity of people under whose influence we are. And I can give you an example of this, which is that I would say one of the most influential philosophers on me personally is Jacques Derrida. Everybody knows that, right? <laughs> one of the criticisms of Derrida that I find absolutely maddening and infuriating and I cannot understand is when people call him a charlatan. Mm-hmm. Right, like, you know, or you know, or when people say that he's just a sophist, that he's unnecessarily obscurantist, or whatever, and that's—I mean, maybe that's just because I think he's authentic. You know, I mean, <laughs> authentic is definitely not the word I would use, but maybe it's because I'm so under the influence mm-hmm. that I don't see. I, yeah, I just don't see it. Now that this has moved into the discussion of sophistry and its relation to influence. There is always this danger in what we do as philosophy instructors to go back to what Lee was saying, like, we do want to go into the classroom and influence people, at least influence the way they think, things they consider to be worth thinking about and not worth thinking about. If we're all honest, we're going to have to admit that we use a little bit of sophistry in oh, doing that. A whole lot of sophistry over here, boys. <laughs> a whole lot. Yes, right. You know, so humor is a form of sophistry. I was just saying to my class in medieval philosophy last week that when I want you to really take seriously a point I'm making and I want you to believe it, I start talking more quietly because now you're <laughs> drawn in and you're like, oh my God, I can hardly hear him. It must be really important. Mm-hmm. And so we're always on the brink of a certain kind of sophistry, and we might not be willing to admit how much we are influence peddlers, we are influencers, and we are influenced by influencers. Just over here making the weaker argument seem stronger. <laughs> Hey, we couldn't hear you while you were shouting into your headphones. So if you have feedback or suggestions for future topics, or if you just want to pick a fight with one of our co-hosts, or in fact all of us, just visit us at www.hotelbarpodcast.com and click on the interactive page. If you want to belly up to the bar with us, at least virtually, you can always email an audio clip to hotelbarpodcast at gmail.com. If it's interesting, we're going to steal it from you. If it's not, we'll send you our Venmo handles and you can virtually buy us a drink. So I sent both of you this short piece from Sophie Bishop, which I'll also put the link in the notes to this episode. But she talks about influencer creep, about how the model of the influencer is becoming more and more influential on all of us. And I do get the impression that my students millennials and Gen Zs, or so I'm starting about 10 or 15 years ago, are very accustomed to thinking about themselves as brands that need to be cultivated, that need to be crafted, 
curated. Mm-hmm. And now those generations are becoming the job creators and the managers and the hirers. Wow. And so influencer creep really is the future of work. And that's Sophie Bishop's argument in her article. So I kind of want to ask you both about influencer creep. You know, Derrida famously or infamously said that there's nothing outside the text. Are we kind of entering the epic of social life where we might say there's nothing outside the platform? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Part of me wonders, isn't this just the logical conclusion of what is normally called neoliberalism Mm -hmm. in the sense that if I become important merely as human capital. Part of what that means is that I have to become, in a sense, my own company. I am my own company. And Mm -hmm. I then engage in a contract with another company. But that means then I have to become my own brand. I have to become my own advertiser. I have to become my own HR department, you know, and so on and so on. You have to scale up. (laughs) Right. No, I I do have to scale up, right? Yeah, I know. And so then I have to be more and more and more of an influencer. And I think in one sense, this is just an outcome of neoliberalism. I will just say, and we don't have to go into this very long because for people not in the profession, this might be really boring, but the amount of things that are written and published in philosophy that are not cited and therefore there is no evidence that they have ever been read is huge. Mm -hmm. Part of this is because we're forced to publish in order to get tenure and so everyone has to publish and so a lot is published. But if it's not read – Then now universities are starting to say, but how do I know how important it was or how good it was or how influential it was? Mm -hmm. And so even within academia, there's a demand on us to become more and more influencers. And like a good neoliberal institution, the university makes me keep track of my own influence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think the kind of work that's demanded of that constant producing goes against what I think is necessary for not just philosophical work, but other types of aesthetic creation, where sometimes you have to spend a lot of time saying nothing so that you can say something. I mean, it's like the Deleuze line from the Control Society's piece where he says, you know, we don't lack means of communication. We lack moments of silence mm-hmm. that make it so we have something worth communicating. And mm-hmm. I feel like this the tendency to constantly produce and be out there. Because I think one of the things that's shown with influencers is that not tweeting or posting or whatever is just as disastrous as posting something poorly. You have to constantly remind people you exist. You have to constantly say, here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And there's a tendency in the sort of creep of influence thing. You see that happen amongst artists, comedians, musicians, where you have to constantly put something out just to constantly respond to something. And I see that to the extent that philosophy Twitter exists. I see that in philosophy Twitter too. Yeah, And they're often... They're not very helpful sort of thing because people will try to come up with a really witty kind of way to criticize some book. And it's not useful to have these kind of constant production that's very superficial when I think it's more worthwhile to have time between things you say. I mean, I think for me, I'm always skeptical of someone who produces books at a particular, I I can't say what the rate is, but at a certain rate, I notice diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just because you need time to have something new to say. And it seems like the sort of philosopher influencers who are out there tend to have to produce more and more 
And to produce more and more, they end up saying less and less. This reminds me of a story. I have a friend in philosophy, Sam Eisling, and he's passed away and his picture is behind me now that I'm in my office on campus. He told me once that Derrida would send him the final typescript of every book that he published. And I said, oh my God, that's a lot of reading to do. And he said, you know, I, I felt like his works were a little bit like Picasso's. After a little while, you're not obligated to look. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're right that the silence is deadly for the influencer, right? It, it's worse than – I mean, unless you're canceled, it's worse than the bad hot take on Twitter, the bad TikTok video or whatever – being silent is deadly for influence. Well, before the three of us get too much <laughs> under the influence, uh, <laughs> the bartender has given us last call, and so we need to roll out of here. But we sure would appreciate it if our listeners would help increase the influence of this podcast by, first of all, smashing that subscribe button, and second of all, going over to our Patreon page and supporting us financially. That's at patreon.com backslash hotel bar sessions. And if I could just put a fine point on that, we're within sight of actually not having to pay for this out of our own pockets. So if we could get this week just five people at the dude level on our Patreon page, that would go a long way to helping us actually not have to pay for your privilege of listening to this podcast. <laughs> so yeah, so whatever influence we have, we're sending out our influencer rays now. And we're trying to get you to share, to like, and subscribe because that's what all influencers do. We just want a small slice of that 1.6 billion, a tiny, <laughs> tiny little bit coming our way. <laughs> yeah, and, and on this point only, I'll say I authentically want that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm inauthentically calling an Uber. <laughs> all right, catch you guys next time. All right, bye. 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 Bye.